Welcome to SGTM Talks. We hope you find this encouraging and inspiring. We've come to the end of our five-week series on the Pentateuch, and for our reading this morning, I want to actually take us to the New Testament. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 12, starting from verse 28, if you're following along in your Bibles. Mark 12, reading from verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. I bet he said something like, you are right in saying that, I'm sure his accent was something like, you're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him more questions. Jesus is quoting from the Shema. He's quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy, as we're going to see. Let me ask you this, though, before we go on. Do you ever feel frustrated by your own faith? Do you ever feel disquieted by what you feel is a lack of growth, lack of increasing maturity? Do you ever feel like it's almost like you're playing snakes and ladders, just as you were doing pretty well, maybe not big, long-laddered shortcuts, but, you know, good, solid progress, and along comes a snake to spoil things, as they do. And there you go again, right back to the start. Here's a thought, though. What if that's not such a bad thing? Back to the start. Could it be that going back to the start is actually a very good idea? Something we need to do every day. Could it be that getting back to the start and rediscovering the primary things, remembering the things that really count over and over again, that is what faith is all about? I have a confession. You're all leaning in now. I have a confession, and my confession is that one of my greatest failings is I think I so easily take things for granted. The Bible is stuffed full of references to the need as we've seen over the last five weeks, as a key element of our thinking and our behavior of thankfulness, to not take things for granted, but to remember all of God's goodness, all of his faithfulness. Remember, remember, look back, give thanks. You know, we can be so acquisitive in our faith, so consumerist, always looking for the next thing, the next buzz, almost like the next high, the next development, and make no mistake, fads and fashions are alive and well and in the church. And what I'm slowly coming to see is when it comes to our faith in Jesus, there's nothing new here. There's nothing new here. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. When this man comes to quiz him, he says, there's nothing new. There's nothing new. Just follow the ancient paths. Our faith is plain and simple, just a case of daily coming back to the start. Here's this teacher of the law quizzing Jesus. 
Does Jesus introduce some new way of seeing God, some new way of behaving in the world? No. Simply recites the Shema from Deuteronomy, the centerpiece prayer of Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. It goes right back to the start. Invites his listeners to re-engage with primary things. So this morning, let's walk with Jesus back into the book of Deuteronomy. The epic conclusion to the Torah, the Pentateuch, and spoiler alert, Moses is going to die. In order to understand this book, we need to remember the story of Israel that we've been looking at in previous weeks. Israel has escaped from slavery. Then they spent one year at Mount Sinai. This is where they made the covenant with God to obey all of these laws. They then wander around in the desert for 40 years before they make it to the Jordan River, which is right across from the land God promised them. They're ready to go in, and this is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. And what this book is really is a speech. Moses gives these final words. It's like a pep talk, but it's to a new generation, the generation that is about to go into the land. And the speech is broken up into three large sections. Moses begins the first part of the speech, chapters 1 to 11, with a somber tone because he's looking back and he's highlighting Israel's rebellion and their resistance, all that's been going on in the previous 40 years. And then that sets up the rest of this opening section, which is Moses' challenge to this new generation to be different from their parents and to respond to God's grace with love and with obedience. And so he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, the basics of the covenant, and then he gives them this very, very famous line that's the focus of us, of our time together this morning. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In Jewish tradition, this, the Shema, is called that because of the very first word there in Hebrew, Shema Israel, listen, listen. And this became a very important prayer in Judaism, said twice a day, and it emphasizes people of Israel's exclusive commitment to their God the one true God who loved them and rescued them out of slavery. And because they were about to go into a land where people were worshipping many other gods. And Moses thinks, look, the loyalty to God is the only way to thrive in life. And those two words, listen and love, listen, O Israel, love the Lord your God, these words are all all over uh, this opening speech of Moses. The word listen in Hebrew, means more than just, you know, allow sound waves to enter your earlugs. It, it includes the idea of doing something, responding to what you hear. So for Israel, this means responding to God's grace by obeying the covenant. To listen means to obey. And then listen, obeying, is always followed by love and love is the true motivation for obeying the laws it's this beautiful uh, cycle israel won't obey without love and they don't only they don't truly love if they don't obey there's this tight connection between loving and listening that goes through the whole book of deuteronomy 
So Moses tells them that if they do listen and love, they will fulfill their original calling of the family of Abraham that we looked at four weeks ago to show all of the nations the wisdom and the justice of God and then they would become a blessing to the world. The second big section of Deuteronomy in chapters 12 to 26 is a large block of commands and this is where the book gets its name. Deuteronomy means a second law. And it's because many of these laws we've heard before. It's a repetition of these laws. In the first line of the book, we're told that Moses is here. He's explaining. He's clarifying the laws. He's repeating. He's expanding these laws, making them relevant to this new generation. There's laws about how Israel is to worship God. There's laws about leadership structure. There's laws about social justice. And then there's some more laws about worship, Now, after all of the laws, Moses warns Israel of the the consequences of their obedience or their disobedience, and he uses the words blessing or curse. If they listen and they love, they will experience blessing and abundance in the land. If they don't, there's going to be famine and plagues, and they're going to be forced off the land and into exile. And then that brings us to the final section of his speech. Here Moses says, I set before you today life or death, blessing or curse. And then he implores them, choose life. But then things get really interesting because after 40 years with these people, Moses knows that they're not going to obey. And so he predicts their failure and even their future exile from the promised land. It's heartbreaking. Moses focuses on what he thinks is the true source of the problem, that they have hard and selfish hearts. It's as if Israel is incapable of truly loving God in a way that brings about natural flow of obedience. Of course, the problem isn't unique to Israel. When Moses uses this language of blessing and curse, He's tying Israel's story right back into all of humanity's story as depicted in Genesis 1 to 3. So Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God, just like Israel. They were given a choice to trust and obey, just like Israel, but instead they rebelled against God. And then that rebellion brought a curse upon the land, like Moses knows Israel is going to do. These stories, they're about Israel's hard heart, but they're also a window for us into the universal human condition. But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. He says that somehow, on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their hearts so that one day they will truly listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is now appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire law code and uh, the one that has just predicted that Israel would, that he's predicted that Israel is going to break, puts it inside the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up a mountain so he can look across and see the promised land from afar. And there he dies. And that's how the Pentateuch ends. That's how the Torah ends ends. It's a strange place to end a story, isn't it? It's right there at the climax. It's this cliffhanger. Will they obey the laws? Will they faithfully 
live in the land or not. And of course, the story then continues on into the book of Joshua, but that's the end of the Torah. That's the end of our five-week series, the Pentateuch. And it's been ended here in this way for a reason. The Torah is written for people who are either outside of the land or who are still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. And so now, as each generation reads it, they find themselves called to hope in what Moses himself hoped for, a new transformed heart, one that can truly listen and love, a new transformed heart. And what a gift it is to read this book from the perspective of a Christian. How amazing to read, as we have, to, to see Jesus quoting the Shema, to read this through the lens of Christ, the one who is in himself the fulfillment of the law, the one who is the ultimate fruition and beautiful expression of God's blessing. But of course, there's a question for us. When we sit here reading Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, the question that we all have can be summed up in one word, how? How do I do that? How do I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my strength, with all of my mind, with all of my soul? How? Let's look at those four very quickly. What could this mean? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I wonder if one aspect of loving God with all your heart is pursuing your heart's desires to bring glory to God. Whatever those heart's desires are within reason, those heart's desires are part of who he has made you to be. And when we live them out, the whole of our lives, our worship, whether you're a gardener or a singer or an accountant or a builder, whether you're a painter or a lawyer or a nurse or a teacher, dare I say, even a rector in the Church of England, even that, just do it, just love doing it. Whatever he's put on your heart to do, whatever hobbies and arts and crafts and other things you love, what you love to read, your passions, do that with all of your heart and you'll be worshipping God. Surely your Father in heaven wants you to be fulfilling, pursuing and fulfilling your full potential. Not letting anything stop you from being excellent in everything you do. Every single gift you have. Living with passion, living with fervor, dreaming dreams and not letting anything get in the way. But what if you don't know what your gifts are? If you don't know your own heart's desires, then why not make that your prayer today as we come together in communion? Come back to the Father and say, Lord, what, what are my gifts? What is my heart's desire? How can you use my heart to truly love you, reflecting back to you the joy of life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Secondly, love the Lord your God with all your mind. When Jesus says this about the mind, and of course we have to note that, that the word mind doesn't appear in the Deuteronomy text, he's drawing out this concept of loving God with all that we are, with all that we think, all of our faculties, 
I'd like to encourage you. We've talked about this before, but there's a course that you can go on, and it's called Beginning Theology. And it's based at St. Melitus, where that David helped to establish, and Jack is a, one of the teachers there, one of the lecturers there. Beginning Theology. Um, if you'd like to get stuck into that, then please, please do. The president and chair there is Dr. Graham Tomlin, Reverend Dr. Graham Tomlin, a while ago in a different context. I asked him how we might worship God with our mind, and he sent me this in an email. Theology is the contemplation of God where going beyond practical service or intercession, we simply contemplate God in his wonder and grace and goodness. The more we come to know who God is, the more we wonder at his love and grace and worship him. Theology, at the end of the day, helps us to enjoy God more, not just to know things about him. Getting into scripture, getting into theology, getting into the key doctrines of Christianity, and more importantly, letting them get into you. Because you can't just, we can't just be about whatever we happen to hear on a Sunday. I was working it out, a sermon is what, 25 minutes long, you might only be paying attention to half of it, and half of that, uh, you, you know, there's, there's another half you don't agree with, there's two minutes for a reading, 30 seconds for waiting for the preacher to find the right page in their notes, 20 seconds of hilarity, uncontrollable laughter, a joke that took one minute and 10 seconds to tell, two minutes for the prayer at the end, add that up and you're left with 15 seconds of pure theology. And that's probably big words that the preacher himself doesn't even understand. 15 seconds to expand your mind every week. It's not a lot, is it? So the emphasis has to be upon each of us individually to do our own study, to do our own reading, to get on courses like this. If you're interested in theology, which I've told you you should be, then talk to Jack, talk to David. Yeah, you can talk to me as well. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. What about your strength? Love the Lord your God with all your strength. What does this mean? I wonder if it means in part that God is loved and worshipped by us every single time we exhibit self-control and discipline. Now that might come across as an odd thing to say, a bit austere, especially in our anything-goes culture. But whilst it may seem alien to many in times of lifestyle and morality, there are still areas where discipline is admired, even celebrated. I went to the Royal Opera House a few years ago. Ooh, catch me, so cultured, to see the ballet. And uh, I realised something as I was watching it, that in certain areas of life, perfect freedom only comes through perfect control. I went away and I wrote this, uh, dot, 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 take the concert cellist, years and years and years of practice, diligently playing the notes on the page, nothing more, nothing less, holding fast, playing by the book, cornering every frustration, defeating each and every temptation to give up, holding the course, wearing fingers practically to the bone, but experiencing the most incredible beauty through it and the release of the most intense personal freedom. Take the ballet dancer, endless days of endless training, constant practice, incessant drills, early mornings, late nights, regimen and routine, diligently obeying the voice of the teacher and the choreographer. But then the dance begins, and with it the total realisation that there is such a thing as liberation through limits, 
there is strangely and wonderfully freedom through control. Now, transpose this same concept across onto areas of our daily living. All around us, we see the tyranny of chaos, the destructive effects of so-called freedom, all the addictions, all the materialism, all the selfishness that enforces a greater, far greater level of captivity upon people. Self-control and discipline, actually a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you, next time you know the Holy Spirit is asking you to exercise some self-control, picture that scene of the, of, the, of the musician or the ballet dancer. Picture that scene of, of channeled strength, channeled to become something utterly beautiful, loving the Lord your God with all your strength. Heart, mind, strength. The teacher of the law questions Jesus and then repeats back what Jesus has just said. But there's a difference. He leaves something out. When you read the text, you see he says something slightly different. He mentions heart, understanding, and strength, but doesn't reiterate Jesus' command to love the Lord your God with all your soul, the immortal essence, the spiritual, the childlike, the unfathomable, the element of our faith that rests in and only in, really, simple trust. It's a simple plea to allow for the supernatural, for the more obviously spiritual in the everyday. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. There are some people in this world who write off religion as pointless and absurd, cold hard rules and odd and dangerous. But when we seek to create a world in which we as humans are the center, there's just something inside of us that knows, no, 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 there must be more. There has to be more. There's, there has to be great. And I talk to people all the time that, that connect with that fact that there is mystery and there is so much more. Ruth Gledhill, the religious correspondent at the Times, she interviewed Richard Dawkins, um, famed atheist, author of The God Delusion. And despite his very vocal atheism, there's still something clearly niggling in that man. She said, was there not in his mind a tiny possibility that one of these future physicists could discover God in one of these dimensions? He says, Dawkins, well, I'm convinced that future physicists will discover something at least as wonderful as any God you could ever imagine. Gledhill, why not call it God? Dawkins, I don't think it's helpful to call it God. Gledhill, okay, but what would it be like? Now listen to this. Dawkins says, I think it'll be something wonderful and amazing. Amen. And something difficult to understand. Amen. I think that all theological conceptions will be seen as parochial and petty by comparison. Preach it, brother. That gigantic intelligence itself would need an explanation. It's going to be grander and bigger and more beautiful and more wonderful, and it's going to put theology to shame. That's Richard Dawkins said that. I read that and I just felt like worshipping the Lord. It sounds like God to me, a glorious, unfathomable mystery beyond the greatest minds, the deepest thinking. I don't think it was his intention that I would be led to worship seeing his response. I don't know about you, but I know that every single day I have to come back to the start, what Jesus is saying what we've been seeing that over the last few weeks just keep coming back to the start love the one who made you love that lord with all your heart all your mind all your strength all your soul i need that every day stop trying to control it all stop trying to understand it all 
recognizing that I will fail, but keep coming back, coming back to the start, coming back to that simplest relationship of trust in the one who made me and knows me. Come back to loving him with all that I am, because that is how he loves me. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to SGTM Talks. We hope you found this insightful and inspiring and can tune in again soon. In the meantime, try out our website, sgtm.org.